Hey guys, and welcome to the Poland Technology Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder. Being a technology leader myself in Poland, I often get asked about technology here, be it technology trends, how to access Polish tech talent to build and support applications, or how can we sell our tech or service in Poland. Therefore, I created this podcast, which is targeted at tech leaders who want to learn more about Polish tech. We will interview the people who've gone through these experiences and learn from their success as well as failures. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Poland Technology Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Owen McCoy. Owen is Chief Transformation Officer of Oranda. Before this, he set up and ran numerous delivery centers in Poland, including Saber, IG, GE Healthcare, Ion, Hawaii. Today, we're going to talk to Owen about his experience of delivery in Poland, uh, talk about some of the challenges he's overcome, and why companies choose Poland. So, welcome to the podcast, Owen. Morning, Ken. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, to normally start, uh, I'd just love to hear a bit about you and your background, please, and how you ended up in Poland. Okay. So, I mean, I, I arrived in Poland first time 20 years ago. So, year 2000 was originally from Ireland and originally a, a software engineer. I ended up in Poland starting to build uh, one of my first service centers back in the year 2000. And, um, well, I've, I've left the country a couple of times and moved in different places around the world. I've you know, been in and out of Poland a lot over the last 20 years, and it's pretty much home at this stage. So never going home. <laughs> never say never, but it's uh, it's a uh, it's a difficult subject. Well, I can imagine. And could you would you mind for the listeners just give us your overview of Poland and and why do companies choose Poland for the delivery? So I think I mean I think there's an evolution I've seen over the last 20 years with Poland in particular. Lots of people have a a sense today of what Poland is like. But certainly 20 years ago, it was a very unknown territory. It was a very unknown country and, a, and a quite an unknown culture. So the starting point for lots of companies 20 years ago, they were thinking about it as a, a very low-cost location. And while that dynamic is, is certainly still through for lots of companies, it's today more recognized as being a high-quality labor force, a high-quality engineering capability, a high-quality academic educational stream. So that's really, I think, why why companies recognize it as being a, a very attractive destination for them if they're thinking about locations for building out service centers. So if I say a service center, it could be anything from a, a high-end R&D engineering capability all the way over to a, a call center or a back office processing center. Wow, yeah. And we often talk about talent in Poland. And you were, you, my understanding is you worked both sides. You worked both on the technical side, but also on the customer support. Would that be correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And how, how does that talent compare to other countries in terms of their experiences, their skill sets in your experience? So I think, I, I think the comparison is, is, is tricky to do, first of all, because I think no matter where you go, you know, you're going to find good talent no matter where you go, whether you're, yeah. whether you're in Dublin, whether you're in London, you know, Paris or, or Warsaw or Krakow, there's good talent around the world. And I think, you know, the, the mobility of talent has meant that the capabilities in different locations are, are very, very strong. I think one of the factors that Poland has still to offer, though, is it has, it has a depth of talent, a larger talent population available at a, you know, at a, at a price benefit. And I think that combination is very attractive to employers. I think the other dynamic that people don't fully appreciate yet is that cities like Krakow, as an example, or Wrocław, but Krakow, take it as an example, has become 
a very recognized global employment destination. So, so while you're, you know, historically you would have looked at, you know, Poland as, as a place to, employ, you know, effectively employing Polish employees, today you have a, a very varied international workforce. Some come for, you know, the engineering skills, some will bring their language talents with them. But the, the magnetic detail of a destination like Krakow has, has continued to evolve over the last couple of years. And so you'll find lots of companies where their, their non-national, non-Polish employee base could be 20, 30, 40% of their population. It's a very, very dynamic, growing employment pool. And so that, along with you know, the language and cultural and experience combinations that brings at a, at a cost benefit for, for companies, uh, makes, it a very attractive, makes it a very attractive destination. That's a good point you mentioned there about, you know, how we're getting much more multicultural now and more Europeans, different natives. Do you see it actually mean opportunity to continue into the future for the next five, ten years? Um, or do you see it kind of plateau out uh, in terms of that talent pool? Well, I think it can continue. I'm not going to say there's an infinite journey that it'll go on. I don't. I think there is an element where it'll reach a, a level of stability, a level of saturation to a certain degree. But if, I, if, if you step back and look at it, you're looking at a you're looking at a country itself that's close to 40 million people. So if we do that in our, even in our Ireland comparisons, that's 10 times the size, right? And so you're dealing with a, a large country, you're dealing with a large population. And I think that in itself is also one of the dynamics why the growth and success for Poland in particular, in comparison to lots of the other Central European countries like Hungary, Czech, Slovakia, Poland has grown uh, certainly in the technology space and in the business services space, it has grown you know, exponentially larger than, than those other countries. And I think one of the dyna- dynamics in play there is because of the size of the country, right? You've got, yeah. you've got 40 million people, and that's a comparison to, let's say, 5 to 6 million people in Hungary. You have, you know, if you take Hungary as an example, you have, you have Budapest, you know, lots of good engineering talent, lots of good language talent. But outside of Budapest, there's really not a second-tier, third-tier city destinations that people are aware of. Whereas if you're in Poland, if you're, let's say, as an example, you're looking in Krakow for a specific skill set, if you don't find it, you also then have the opportunity to search in Warsaw, Wrocław, Gdansk, Poznan. You have three or four other equivalently large, let's say, developed employment hubs that gives you the opportunity to be able to, to look at Poland or a city in Poland as a destination that will give you an awful lot more than you may find in, in other countries. I think that's that's just the local scale. I think then the, the let's say the foreign cultural dynamics that have continued to develop. You know, I think there's an aspect. You can call it the Ryanair effect. You can call it whatever you want. In reality, over the last ten years, Poland's become an awful lot more known and understood to a, a European population and to a U.S. population as well, to a certain degree, a global population. But for a young European population, it's become a known destination. It usually starts off with a a holiday destination. People realize it's a good place to live it's a nice place to live they can realize and recognize it's a place where they could live and they could have a career and because the the markets have developed they could actually have a full-blown international influential career they don't have to be in london or frankfurt or dublin anymore there are these opportunities and so so i think that dynamic itself has continued to to grow and i think there's a long way for it to continue to grow Uh, again I'll, i'll use a dublin I don't know how valid this, this data is anymore, but I, you know, information I had from the IDA two or three years ago recognized that nearly 50 to 60% of the engineering population in, in Dublin, you know, a world-class engineering hub, but yeah. 50 to 60% of that population was non-Irish, right? Wow. So it had, it had yeah. developed its own capability to be a magnet for 
you know, foreign employees and for foreign mm-hmm. talent. And put that in context, that shows that I think there's a there's an opportunity for Krakow and Poland in general to continue to grow that dynamic of their of their employee base. And so, you know, yeah. w- would it hit the same levels? I don't know, but it certainly I think there's in comparison, it's really only starting on that part of its journey. And I think also that's a great point, so and I think also because you know younger people are more into quality of life and living, yeah. and I think there's a great cost versus quality of life in Poland, you know, for living standards. There absolutely is, and I think that younger population dynamic also is a more global. It's a more global population. It's a more globally aware population. You know, country boundaries and and cultural boundaries don't really exist in their mindsets as much as they might have done for previous generations. So the idea of moving from Spain to Poland, Italy to Poland, France to Poland, and I'm picking those examples particularly because, you know, I think there's an assumption that people will have in what I'm describing is that that migratory population is coming from the East. It's come, you know, it, parts of it, there are large parts of it coming from Ukraine, from Belarus, but actually there are significant and material parts of that mobility curve happening from Western European populations as well, not just Western European, but South America, you know, it is actually quite a global, it's quite a global dynamic at this stage. Good, thanks, Tom. Listen, I'd love not to move into the whole area of the delivery centre, I mean, and just get your knowledge around the space. So the company wants to go and set up in Poland, I mean, how do you go about setting up a delivery centre? I know this is your speciality, so how would you approach it? <laughs> you just find an office and you hire people. Just, <laughs> and I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be flippant, but it, it, it gener- yeah. generally is as simple as that. But obviously, it's it's a lot more complex. So, you know, in conversations I have with companies, I, I tend to have to get them to step back a little bit because there are, you know, there needs to be some good answers to the questions of why, you know, not so much why are they doing it, but what are they looking to achieve? What do they need? What are their requirements? What does success and what does good look like? Okay, yeah. so if I break that down into into a couple of examples, if you took an engineering space, if you were a company who was looking at software engineering from a enterprise job applications development kind of world, uh, excuse me, a location like Krakow would be the ideal location for you to be able to build that because that's the core of what the engineering capability is, is focused on. If you were an engineering company that was more specialized in silicon embedded hardware, you know, device electronics and software, then Wrocław is the location that you would, you would need to be basing yourself in. So, so it's not just as simple as saying we do IT or we do software. You, yeah. You then have to actually get down into the details of what is it the company actually needs and what are they looking for? Because, you know, again, the the other benefit of a, of a country like Poland is because it is large and you do have, you know, five or six developed hubs that um that you can think about, they have all developed their own levels of speciality, right? And so so while if, if you, um let's say, if you were the hardware embedded systems guys and yeah. you ended up in Krakow, you'd still be fine, right? You, you'd still be fine, but you wouldn't have the same talent maturity or the same technical expertise that you might find over in, in Wrocław. And what I think you'd find is you'd end up end up finding yourself hiring in Wrocław and trying to convince people to move over to Krakow or vice versa. Vice versa. So so I think I think that's that's the first part you think about what are the you know what are the specificities of the talent pools that companies might be looking for. And you know the same thing on the uh, let's say on the business services side if you're looking at if you're looking at specific language skills, right? If you mm. as an example have a very Let's say if you have a large German language requirement, you know, west of the country, it's probably the, the better choice for you. You've got, you know, you'll have Wrocław, you'll have Poznan, you'll have Szczecin. You have those locations close to the German border. If you were a 
financial services house that, as an example, you were in the fund accounting space, then, you know, Krakow has to be the place where you go because, you know, it is, it is developed as a hub around companies like State Street and Euroclear and, and Brambers Harriman. You know, they built the speciality skills in the, in the market over the last 10 years and they came into the market knowing that those skills didn't exist. And so they were still able to make the investment and make the growth and, and you know, both centers grow up to multi-thousands of employees. And so the, the hub of that capability is, is almost dedicated in Krakow. And I'll take the Oanda story as well. I mean, our business is a very specialized, you know, leveraged derivative trading uh, service for, for retail clients. Now, outside of London, Krakow is almost the hub of, you know, expertise in this area at this stage. Now, it's a very young hub. You know, the reality is ID started four years ago. Gain started a year and a half ago. Oanda is just starting. But outside of Krakow and London, I mean, Krakow is, sorry, outside of London, though, the, Krakow is the only city around the world where there's more than one of those companies based. Right. Um, Oanda's headquarters is in Toronto. Gain is in New York. Um, But Oanda, Gain, you know, CMC markets, all of our competitors are are in London because that's the heart of where, you know, that that financial trading business has grown and exists. But outside of London, the next, you know, the next cluster of expertise, the next cluster of density is Krakow. And in terms of the, the, the whole, the legals and the, the financial, the bureaucracy, like, do you find, you know, companies, you get asked often about this, that they find it a challenge or not a challenge? Um, yeah, I, I think, so it's, it's a question that's been there for 20 years. I think what's mm-hmm. happened is a couple of things. Um, I think as Poland has joined the European Union, a lot of the, let's say a lot of the business expectations and the bureaucratic expectations have harmonized with European norms. So I think, I think that's answered that question a lot. There are obviously still legislative differences depending on what country you're coming from. You know, one very simple version you'll have is a, you know, a common law versus civil law practice difference. And so depending on what geography you're coming from, you'll find bigger or, or smaller differences between the two. I think there are aspects of, of the bureaucracy that still exist. There's certain business processes that take a little bit longer than, than you'd like them to do. But that's just a detail you factor into your plan. I think, in truth, the Polish government has done a, a pretty good job over the last, certainly over the last two years, on providing a better kind of electronic e-government set of services, particularly around tax and tax filing and, and financial details. So I think, you know, companies will come in, they'll find some things are a little bit more difficult. They'll find some things are actually smoother and easier than they might be used to. On the flip side, though, I think because the market has developed so much and the market understanding has developed so much over the last 20 years, you know, finding a, let's say, finding an accounting partner, a tax partner, a payroll partner, a legal partner, finding partners that you can work with on the ground that understand your global perspective and your international requirements is, is very easy these days. So, so the, let's say the heavy lifting that I remember having to do 20 years ago in, in getting the yeah. first, you know, getting the first set of legal entities up and running because it was new for me and it was new really for, for everybody. You know, those days are long gone. I think the reality, the reality you can see today is that, you know, a company can be up and running from scratch in, you know, less than two months. You know, in, yeah. another example that started, I, I've noticed over the last five, five or six years where, let's say as an example in the UK or in Ireland where you have, you know, you can buy an off the shelf company. So pre-registered, pre-VAT registered, you can yes. do that at home. You can now, there are companies providing that service in Poland today. And so oh, okay. what's happening is that, you know, that there are aspects in the country that's, that's also learning and developing from foreign practices and, 
and realizing there are opportunities here to help help inward investment uh, move more quickly and continue to make the country as as attractive and, and accessible as possible. Fantastic, Owen. And, you know, when you're building out, building out that initial expertise, I know you mentioned there's fantastic talent there, but how do you, you know, initially transfer that knowledge from the home office, so to speak, uh, and setting that up first day? How do you go about that in your experience? Um, so there's a couple of ways of doing it, right? So one is, let's just say, I mean, the story today, again, is very different to 20 years ago. There's probably very few business domains left that there is no expertise in Krakow, as an example. Okay, so... So, you know, the, the chance compared to 20 years ago, you would hire a, a smart engineer or you would hire a good accountant, but you really did have to explain to them the, the, the basics of your business and the speciality that you might have been in. Today, I'll just again take Krakow as an example. I mean, you've, you've got business domain expertise in travel industry, insurance, financial services, fund accounting, leverage trading, uh, computer gaming. You know, you'd want to be in a fairly niche-specific business okay. domain to not have at least some some domain expertise. Yeah. So, so I think that that starting point is is very different to where what it would have been a generation ago. That said, though, you know, there's there's lots of different ways you do it, and I think I think there's a couple of levels of which I describe this. You you have the opportunity where travel becomes a big part of it. First of all, right? You if you're looking at building your team. I would expect that you would have some people from your, your global offices will come to spend time and work with that team. You would have your, your Poland team will travel back to headquarters. You know, that's important. You know, people see it just as a knowledge transfer point of view. But for me, it's, it's much more important because it actually is the dynamic that helps build trust and working relationships between the locations. Right? And you look at, let's say, a service center in Poland, the reality is for almost all of them, they're not going to be isolated away from the rest of the company. They're going to have dependencies, relationships, and working patterns that, that are included in, in the global architecture of what the organization is doing. So investing and making sure you, you set the relationships and the working, the working relationships and trust in place quite early and quite properly is, is, um, is absolutely paramount to the success of, of your project. Not just the success of, let's say, of the, look, of the service center itself, but to the success of, of the organization. Because if you, if you go back to, to where we started with this, you know, the question about why you have the service center in the first place, why, why was it necessary? Why was it built into the company's global architecture? You know, un- unless it can add value and deliver on that value, then, you know, your company's success is going to, going to be jeopardized. And so starting off that is, is, is quite important. Then depending on the kind of roles you're dealing with here, you could have you know, let's say high knowledge type roles. So a lot of your, let's say software engineering or some of your design R&D type roles, that takes a lot of heavy collaboration time and knowledge knowledge transfer because a lot of it will be, will be let's say, institutional domain knowledge that, that exists. Therefore, you know, travel and, and travel and collaboration is, is necessary. On the other side of, of the, the spectrum, you could have let's say, highly process-centric roles, highly fungible roles, highly fungible tasks. And most organizations at this stage will have those roles and those tasks, you know, clearly documented, clearly designed, clearly structured. And so, you know, in, in that world, you, you can think of the approach in a much more structured training plan approach because the knowledge is, is structured and contained and you're really, you're really there then worried about making sure the knowledge is disseminated, understood, and can be repeated and exhibited. So you've got a number of different types of roles and a number of different types of ways for, for getting your knowledge transferred between different locations. The one piece I, I think is necessary for companies to realize at this stage, though, is that 
you know, like I said at the beginning of this one, there is a good knowledge base available across most industry verticals in, in the market at this stage. And if companies don't recognize that, I think they, they run the risk of losing a lot of the value in, in the sense of they, they presume they're, they're starting from scratch. They're presuming that there's no expertise, no knowledge, and it's just as a, a low-cost talent play. The reality is it's not that anymore. And if you, if you don't recognize that fact, then you lose the opportunity for your, for your new teams and you, your new talent pool to contribute to what your company actually needs. Mm. Yeah, because I did come across definitely some experience of people that means projection of Poland in terms of, you know, is it just operations and back office? Yeah. It's, it's actually far from that. It's, it's far from that. I mean, you, yeah, exactly. And you look at, I mean, you could pick lots of different service centers in, in Krakow as an example. And, and, and they started off as low-cost back office locations, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was fine because that's yeah. really where the organization needed them to grow. And I think the, the successful ones have had the organizations with them that have recognized how quickly their center capabilities has developed, how quickly the market is driving and pushing that capability to develop. And also they're realizing how quickly their clients realize that the talent and the capability that might have existed previously in in london or dublin wherever wherever the let's say the, the front office relationship piece was in the past i see lots of situations now where the clients are are asking their company asking their provider to let's say step aside a little bit and let them have access directly to where they now know the work is being done and by default wow. where the where the knowledge and capability is actually is actually embedded which then gives you know a client basically what's happening then is our your, your back office service centers that were designed and originally developed as being back office service centers are actually becoming client-facing relationship centers as well. They're, not only do they own the process and the work, but they're starting to own the relationship with the clients as well. So that's, that's their journey you know, very quickly up the value chain of what the organization needs to achieve. And trust. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's the point. You need, you're delivering a service maybe in a, in a back office kind of way, but over time, as, as your clients realize what the capability actually is and the success of the of the talent, that's where their trust comes and they want to get direct access to it. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. This, this, uh, it sounds amazing. It is amazing. Um, but just talking about, just kind of just briefly touch on this, maybe some of the challenges that you've come across, maybe how you overcame those challenges. I mean, for example, I don't know, do you find attracting and the retention of talent is a challenge in Poland? Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling and laughing. It is. A, so so it, I think it depends on your perspective, right? Okay. I'm an optimistic person, so I don't see it as a challenge. I don't say that flippantly. I mean, certainly today, it is much more difficult to hire than it was 20 years ago, right? You know, when, when you had a, an employers-led market like you had 20 years ago, when we were all just getting started, you know, you had the opportunity to literally and, and figuratively pick the best talent possible because you were, you know, there, there were not that many competitors in the market looking for the talent. Today, it's a very, very competitive market. There's no question about it. It's a very competitive market, but to me, there's actually a very, very big positive side of that statement that I make. You're competing for a much more mature, much more capable talent pool today than you were 20 years ago. So while it's more, it's more difficult, and you know, scaling up to large numbers might take longer and be more of a struggle than than you might like it to be. What I believe you've got is is this reality where even though it's competitive, you are actually competing for real global talent. You're not just competing for low-cost, well-educated individuals, you're competing for a more well-rounded, professional, global, a global talent pool. So while it's competitive, 
it is like let me say it, it's worth the effort and it's worth the battle and so so what that really means though is that it it does make it much more important for an employer to think about their value proposition you know what is their employer brand what do they have to offer why should an employee choose you and and and, and here's the reality this yeah. is the kind of conversation you normally expect to be having in in Silicon Valley or in London yes. or in Frankfurt or or global hubs. Yeah. It just shows you where you know where the maturity of the market has grown to that you're actually having the same global discussions about the responsibilities you have as an employer to identify identify the, the talent that you want. You know, present your case to them, make yourself to be an attractive, compelling yeah. employer, and actually keep these employees engaged. Because the downside of not following on that promise you might make. Is it is a very competitive market, and so if you don't, if you're not able to give the employees what they need or what they're looking for for their career developments, they're going to go. And that's not about you know that's really not about money, right? Yeah. You know, most people think that you know they you know the employees will walk across the street for an extra an extra couple of dollars, and that's that's not the case. You're dealing with an employee population who's looking for their careers to develop. They're looking for a, a destination. They're looking for opportunities to grow, and more importantly, they're looking for opportunities to contribute. Right, and so if they if they don't feel value, don't feel part of your organization, or don't feel part of the part of the journey, or or able to contribute yeah. value to the company, on both sides, you know, you, as an organization, yeah. you're not going to get the best value possible, and 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 that's where I think employers or centers, to a certain degree, will you know feel like they struggle to feel like they struggle to hire, yeah. but generally, I don't think the struggle is at the recruitment phase. I think the struggle for most companies is actually at the retention phase, where. Yeah. You know, whatever it is that they're doing or have done, their ability to retain the talent that they need is difficult. And, you know, that then drives a, a bigger need for you back at the recruitment pipelining stage. But the problem you've got is that if you're not able to retain your talent, your brand, yes. your brand position on the market is not going to be very, very strong. So your ability to attract in the first place is going to be compromised. And so, yeah. so I think it, it, it is a challenge. There's, uh, you know, I don't want to get away from the fact that it is a challenge yeah. because it's a very competitive market. But you know, there are there are aspects of why it's a challenge, of what are you challenged by, and what are you looking for, are quite important questions to uh, to think about. Otherwise, you're kind of just going through on a hamster wheel of you know trying to hire, trying to hire, trying to hire without actually being able to grow and develop and build. Yeah, great answer. So, just before we finish up, Owen, I mean, uh, just is there any other kind of challenges or maybe some tips that you could advise companies if they were to go about setting up a delivery center in Poland that you'd recommend for them to go about it or? Um, I think the other, the, the other big challenge, and I probably should have touched on it earlier on, the, the biggest challenge I've always found hasn't really been, you know, can you attract and hire and develop 100 people, 500 people, 1,000 people in a center in Poland? That, that's, I'm not going to say it's mechanical. Obviously, I've, I've, I've been through the journey many, many times. So the mechanics of it, I understand very, very well. Every organization I've been in, one of the biggest challenges actually has been helping the global organization understand how to get the best from a service center, wherever it might be, and integrated inside its organization and its culture. Because in truth, there are very, very, there really are very few companies around the world who have lots of experience in doing this. Yeah. There's lots of companies I'm, I'm working with today, and they're just starting on journeys like this. There are companies like, let's say, like Saber, who's been doing it for 20 years. And so th there are companies who have some experience, but lots of organizations really don't. And so, you know, Helping, I'll just take headquarters as a generic expression for the rest of the rest of the, the retained organization. You know, I think a lot, a lot of companies underestimate how much help their headquarters staff need to make a journey like this successful, right? And it goes through lots of levels of the organization, from the execs all the way, let's say, all the way down to a team leader. 
take a software engineering team leader sitting somewhere in the world who has just been given a team of 10 guys in Krakow. The company thinks they're doing them a great, a great service. He's got 10x resources. Congratulations, good luck, be successful. And this guy might never in the past have ever run a large development organization. He may never have run or remote managed a different team. He may never have had any experience of the cultural differences between his, let's say, his home culture and, and let's say, a foreign culture or a Polish culture. Time zones get in the way. English language not being the first language gets, you know, you have all these dynamics to get in the way. And I think one of the challenges I tend to see is companies underestimate let's say, the help the company needs to make all this successful. Now, it's not, it's not rocket science, nor is it multi-million pounds investments. It's much more the conscious, the conscious identifiers of where in the organization would somebody need help to make this project continue to be successful. Because like I said, the, almost the easier part is, you know, can, you, can, you, can you find 200 engineers in a location and, and, and get it up and running? That's, that's relatively easy. Can you make that center a an integrated success in your global organization and help both sides of the uh, of the relationship work through cultural communication dynamics relationship dynamics you know all the let's say all the soft skill conversations here mm-hmm. are the are the ones that you find are the uh, are the trickiest the trickiest little yeah. problems that need to be addressed because you have to watch out for them and you have to keep an eye on them because if you don't they're the they're the, the let's say the, the the dynamics that can become toxic and can jeopardize the value of of investments like this. Amazing. Thank you. Really great insights today. And thank you for your time. If if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way of getting in contact with you? Best way is probably through LinkedIn. So LinkedIn profile, Owen McCoy, open and and available for contacts. And, uh, you know, it's it's, in this day and age, it's it's my business card. So the contact details and messaging details are all built in there. That's the guidance I usually give to people. Great. Listen, thank you for your time today, Owen. Thanks, Ken.